Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. We have a very important topic to discuss today, and it's a topic that if we do this right, if we get the solutions right to this problem, it could impact multiple generations of Americans. And so I'm hoping that we can all tune in and we can all engage in what we're about to talk about. There is a piece of legislation that is currently floating um, in the nation's capital. Yep, there's a lot going on in the nation's capital right now. But the Reopen and Rebuild America's School Act of 2020 is being uh, discussed. And we're going to be talking to somebody who's been in the middle of some of the negotiations, some of the, the verbiage that is in that bill. But essentially, it's this. Even before COVID, our schools as a whole were in a state of disrepair. Of course, there are communities where the schools are very modern, very healthy, very clean, a good place to to work and a good place to learn. But there are a whole lot of schools that have what's called legacy infrastructure. And that's just a nice way of saying crummy old buildings that are in a state of disrepair. And the Reopen and Rebuild America's School Act would help address years, decades of of legacy infrastructure in our nation. Our guest today is Anissa Hemming, and she is the director uh, for the Center for Green Schools at the U.S. Green Building Council. There's nobody else I'd rather talk to about this topic. Um, She has a great background. Uh, She's got a master's in architecture from UW, so all of our Seattle listeners can woot woot for that. Um, But she is quite an authority on um, healthy school buildings. So welcome to Go Green Radio, Anissa. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got a lot of ground to cover today, and I'd like to start with the issue that's top of mind for many Americans, reopening schools. Talk to us about the CDC's reopening guidelines for schools as they pertain to ventilation systems. Yeah, they've changed a lot over the course of the pandemic, um, just based on our, you know, our, our changing understanding of how the virus um, can be transmitted from person to person. So um, the CDC currently has um, uh, quite a lot of guidance about ventilation within schools uh, on their their school um, COVID guidance, and it references um, some uh, very in-depth um, work that ASHRAE has done, and ASHRAE is the American Society of uh, Hating refrigeration <laughs> and air conditioning engineers, I believe is, is that acronym. Um, but they have a, a very in-depth um, guidance for school facilities staff and the CDC references their, um, their guidance for ventilation. Um, there, there was a time when the CDC was sort of waffling on whether um, the virus could um, travel uh, through, you know, mm-hmm. through the air that, that goes through our ventilation systems within buildings, but um, there is um, pretty good evidence that it can. Um, and so it is really important for our schools and other buildings to have um, adequate ventilation and, and outdoor air coming in and, um, mm-hmm. and air cleaning technologies like just basic filters um, that can help us keep the virus from transmitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, give us some idea of um, the extent to which our nation's schools are ill-prepared to follow this guidance. Give us some data that'll help us get our heads around 
um, just how far we are from our schools being able to comply with that guidance. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's sort of a couple pieces that come together to paint that picture. One is that a lot of our schools are are very old. Um, so you know, the average age of a school in the U.S. is around 50 years old, which you know, in and of itself, that one piece of data wouldn't be that worrying. Like we hope that our schools last that long. That's yeah. that's something we we want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, um, there is a historic uh, disinvestment. Um, in keeping those school buildings running. And that really is, it comes from the fact that we as a country don't invest in um, infrastructure um, as a whole very consistently. And then for schools, you know, school budgets are, are stretched thin by a lot of different competing demands and maintenance of buildings often goes by the wayside. Um, and so, you know, a recent study from the um, Government Accountability Office came out last year and indicated that about half of districts need to upgrade or replace multiple systems like heating and air conditioning or plumbing. Um, an estimated one-third of schools need some sort of HVAC system updates, mm-hmm. so ventilation system updates. Um, and there's, there's just not, um, there, there's a lot of indication that our schools are not being able to keep up with the kind of investment that needs to happen. And we can talk about it a little bit later, but we also, we do know that the, the dollars going into these schools, um, it doesn't look like they're enough to keep up mm-hmm. with, um, with what they, they need to keep in good repair. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also some, you know, some other indications that our schools are, not um, uh, keeping students and teachers healthy. Um, so we know that about 14 million school days per year are lost um, due to asthma incidents by students. And um, all teachers also report the highest percentage of work-related asthma cases in the U.S. compared with other um, occupations that are non-industrial. So we also know that there's some health indicators that are pointing us to um, seeing that our, our school buildings are not um, keeping keeping up. Right. That's, I mean, that's happening even in communities that, you know, are fairly affluent. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. some of the mm-hmm. education dollars, you know, that, that schools have to work with, um, you know, there's only so much beyond salaries that they have in their budgets for these kinds of maintenance and repairs. And so it is a nationwide issue. Now, one of the things that I think it's important for us to realize, because some people will say, oh, my goodness, why should we do this? The pandemic won't last forever. But it doesn't take a pandemic for poor HVAC systems to adversely affect students. Talk to us about how poor indoor air quality can impact student outcomes. Yeah, yeah, you're right that, I mean, the pandemic has sort of shown a light on this, but it's not a new issue, and it's also not an issue that's going to go away um, when we figure out how to handle the current pandemic. Um, we, we've we seen uh, m- multiple studies over the last few decades have found relationships between lower ventilation rates and increased missed school days mm-hmm. due to respiratory infections, 
uh, increased incidence of something called sick building syndrome, which is um, which happens when there's not enough ventilation in a building, um, where people have respiratory symptoms and um, you know other other sort of uh, watery eyes and itchiness mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, just based on the fact that they're not getting um, adequate fresh air. Um, Studies have also found relationships between lower ventilation rates and increased school nurse visits for respiratory symptoms. Um, so, so we know that there are these connections, specifically on indoor air quality, um, when we when we don't have adequate ventilation in our in our schools. Uh, mm-hmm. We also found, I mean, a lot of those studies focus on students, but we've also seen um, teacher impacts. So, in a survey of uh, 500 teachers in New York State um, that was done as a representative survey, more than 10% reported negative impacts on their ability to teach effectively mm-hmm. due to mm-hmm. things that they um, were attributing to, you know, irritants in their environment, like headaches and drowsiness and irritation in their throats and that sort of thing. So this is not, um, you know, it's, it's not limited to little kids, uh, although if it was, it would still be. Uh, it would worried. still be an issue. Uh, it's yeah, also <laughs> affecting our teachers. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's affecting everyone that's in these buildings. Absolutely. Let's take it one step further, Anissa. Help our listeners understand the difference between indoor air quality and indoor environmental quality, and how sub- substandard. Uh, in, indoor environmental quality can impact student outcomes because those two terms, you know, sometimes are used interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. Help us understand that. Right, right. So indoor air quality is really is you're looking at like the contents of the air, um, and that is that's it. Um, but indoor environmental quality refers to a whole bunch of um, aspects of the environment, and for schools, um, that in particular. Um, it includes acoustics, um, so we, we really need our students to be able to hear teachers and hear each other. Um, and since since 2014, we've seen more than 20 studies have shown um, a negative relationship between environmental noise exposure and children's learning outcomes and, and cognitive performance. Um, we're also talking about um, thermal comfort, um, which seems almost silly because we, we joke about it in offices, but there's also, mm-hmm. there actually is a learning uh, connection there. So uh, there was a 2016 study looking at test scores for 75,000 students, uh, and they found that for every one degree Fahrenheit increase in temperature, test scores fell by 0.2%. Um, and it that seems small, but it, it adds up quite a lot and it mm-hmm. especially obviously is um is a problem when we're talking about really hot days and mm-hmm. um faulty air conditioning and that sort of thing. And then mm-hmm. um the other one that I want to highlight is daylighting and access to nature. And daylight um affects not only our ability to see well and you know the the functioning of our eyes, but it it also it impacts um our and students, hormones, hormone levels, um, and the hormones that tell us that it's time to be awake versus time to sleep. And so there is actually um, very good data about how daylight and full-spectrum light um, can help students um, stay alert and help with memory and um, cognition. So that's another very important aspect of our, of our environment. 
Well, and you know, I know that, you know, CO2 levels are part of this as well. And, um, you know, I, I recently, uh, before the pandemic, was in a classroom that was being um, checked with a, a professional engineer for indoor environmental um, quality. And and one of the things that was found with his monitor was that the, the room temperature was not what was on the thermostat. The ventilation mm-hmm. rates were nil and the CO2 levels were very high. And just before we saw the the readings on his monitor, I saw some kids coming up to the teacher saying, I just can't concentrate. And, you know, I I relayed this information back to district leadership. And I was like, it's like, you know, having the best book you ever wanted to read. You take it to bed, you want to read it. But before you start reading it, you pull the covers over your head. How long are you going to be able to read that book? That's what high CO2 levels do. Um, You know, and and that really can impact both the teacher's ability to teach and the student's ability to learn. And, um, you know, I don't know that our, you know, education leaders are aware of how important indoor environmental quality is to the learning process. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We have so much more to talk about with Anissa. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you're just now 
tuning in. Let me catch you up. Our guest today is Anisa Hemming. She's the director for the Center for Green Schools at the U.S. Green Building Council. We're talking about a piece of legislation that's working its way through the halls of Congress right now called the Reopen and Rebuild America's School Act. And before the break, we were talking about the impact that poor indoor air quality and poor indoor environmental quality can have on students, can have on teachers. They're there to learn. They're there to teach. And the conditions in which they are trying to perform those tasks can be really adversely impacted by poor indoor air quality and uh, environmental quality. And so, Anissa, I wanted to ask you how this new piece of legislation, RASA, (laughs) uh, specifically Mm -hmm. addresses improving indoor air quality and indoor environmental quality in America's schools. Yeah, so the the piece of legislation... um, has been introduced a couple times in Congress, and, and last year it actually passed the House um, as part of um, the Invest in America Act last summer. Um, but it, it didn't get through the Senate, and, and so it hasn't it hasn't made it all the way through. Um, this year, it's been reintroduced in the House, um, and the the legislation provides grants and um, some increased bonding capacity for school systems. Um, and the grants would flow through states and um, states are would be required to um, give the Department of Education a plan for how the money is going to be targeted at high need local school districts and um, and how the projects that it's gonna, that the funding is going to go toward um, uh, protect the health and well-being of students. Um, and then the local school districts um, also, to get the money from the state level, um, have to articulate, you know, how they're, how the projects are protecting, uh, protecting health and um, indoor air quality and indoor, indoor environmental quality are actually specifically called out in the legislation as, um, as aspects of these projects that need to be addressed by both the local school districts who are asking for the money and the states who are supposed to be submitting these plans. Um, there's also some requirements within the bill that um, that have to do with meeting um, a high level of um, uh, best practice in, in construction and renovation. Um, and if, if locals are doing, if local school districts are doing major renovations or new construction, there's also some requirements for green construction, which, um, is, is, um, defined as, uh, design and construction that, that, um, uh, increases indoor air quality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I know that this piece of legislation isn't just about HVAC systems, as important as they are. There were egregious problems with our nation's school buildings before COVID. And I'd like to talk about asbestos. Um, To what extent are American school children and their teachers impacted by asbestos? It's a really good question. And I I'm going to use that question to talk about how little <laughs> we know. Okay, you <laughs> how got little it. We know. Um, I, I mean, I laugh, but it's a, it's a very serious problem. We really have no idea what the condition of our school buildings across the country are. Um, some states have an office at the state level that is, you know, taking care of, of um, standards across 
school um, facilities in their state, you know, keeping track with, with local school districts about how, what the condition of their schools is. Um, but many, many states um, not only have no data on their school facility conditions, they don't even have like a person at the state level who um, is keeping an eye on equity of school environments across mm-hmm. school districts in their state. So, you know, what this means is that going back to the point we made um, a little earlier about the fact that school buildings are, you know, on average about 50 years old in this country, um, there are many school systems that that don't have the tax base to fund school construction or modernization projects. And um, in some cases, n- nobody at a higher level of government knows that. And so yeah. there's just school systems who are just struggling on their own with no options for raising money. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really, this is the equity problem that we're, that we're really trying to address with this piece of legislation that we're pushing for. So when it comes to asbestos, I'll just say, you know, with 50 year old average, average age buildings, um, we know that there are schools out there that have asbestos, um, in them there, mm-hmm. you know, to get, to put a little bit, to put minds a little bit at ease, you know, asbestos is really a problem when it's disturbed. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, as long as there aren't, um, maintenance and repairs going on in a building without regard to the fact that there could be asbestos there, um, people are probably relatively safe from the really, really bad, um, uh, impacts from asbestos, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a problem that we just really don't know the extent of. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, a few months ago, I saw a press release where the Philadelphia public school system got a pretty sizable grant from UPenn. Um, I think it was to the tune of maybe $10 million or something like that. It was a pretty big amount of money for a university to give to a local public school district. And one of the things that they listed as one of the needs that would be addressed with that grant was asbestos remediation. And, you know, my mind was blown to see that being the way that this was funded um, or part of the way that it's funded. And and I think that that just goes to show how desperate some local school districts are. And this isn't just urban school districts. I mean, even, you know, in my state of California, where um, the way that the local uh, funding formula works, there are school districts that are in, you know, suburban, middle-class neighborhoods. But if they aren't passing parcel taxes or bond measures, there is no funding from the state to do this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Now, I know that the the federal legislation that we're talking about also addresses mold in schools, um, and it addresses water quality as well. Talk to us a little bit about those two issues, about mold and poor water quality. Yeah, absolutely. And um on the mold side, I would say similarly to, you know, the problem with asbestos is we really don't know the extent of the problems, but mold comes from um, other problems. So mold is an indicator problem, right? So if you've got mm-hmm. a water leak, um, if you have a roof leak, if you have um, poor ventilation, so there's like um, a buildup of moisture inside of a building because um, you know, something is sort of off with the ventilation system, that's when we have issues with mold. And so 
mold is really just so connected with our um, underinvestment in maintenance for school buildings. And like you were saying, I, you know, this is not something that I would actually put at the feet of our school systems maintenance teams. In, in most cases, you know, school districts are doing what they can with very limited resources um, and, and they just don't have the funding to, to pull from, you know, other areas of, of um, priority in order to do some of these maintenance tasks. But that's, that's a lot of where the mold problems come from. Um, so if we can fix some of the, you know, the basic issues with mm-hmm. our school building quality um, and, and school building maintenance, we can really um, tackle that mold problem that way. Mm-hmm. Um, water quality is such a, such an issue, such a doozy yes. of, a, of a problem for school systems. And we actually wrote a paper about this um, in 2019 that might be of interest to your listeners, um, looking at state-level policies, state-level laws related to water quality. Um, schools fall into this really weird regulatory hole for water testing. So, um, you know, water systems uh, that distribute water are, re- are required to test their systems for mm-hmm. um, contaminants, a whole list of contaminants, um, including lead and some of the um, biocontaminants that we're, you know, worried about. And um, they have certain priority sites that they are supposed to be testing or sort of a sample of to make sure, you know, the water system is looking good as a whole. Um, and schools are not a priority site. And so, and, and they're not required to test um, yeah. from a federal perspective. Um, and in most cases at the state level, um, they're not required to test their water. So we looked at state laws. Um, we found 15 states that had laws related to water testing. Most of those laws were just a single year where yeah. lawmakers said, we want to know what condition of water is this year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, and they they just did it once and um, published the data and that was it. So yeah. we've got a, a real issue with water quality um, regulation at schools. And there is some... Um, uh, some prioritization of water quality projects within this federal bill to put some federal money toward um, improving water quality. Yeah, talk to us about this. How does the bill address, like what we just talked about, asbestos, mold, and water quality? How how does the bill target those issues? Yeah, so similarly to the way that it addresses indoor air quality and those indoor environmental quality um, things that we were talking about earlier, a, a lot of the way that this is going to look in communities if the if the funding is passed on the federal level is going to that's it's going to be dependent on state plans so the plan that the state gives to the federal government to say this is where you know this is how we're prioritizing um for health uh and also dependent on local school districts choices for how this money should be spent so this is something for listeners to keep an eye on if this legislation gets passed you know state States are states and local districts are um, within the language as it currently is are required to um, analyze how the money is going to be spent to protect health and well-being um, of students and teachers in these schools. And there are some specifics in the current language, but a lot of it is um, 
is uh, left to the control of states and local um, districts. And so um, we're, we're all going to want to sort of keep an eye on how our own representatives are um, prioritizing these topics. Absolutely. Well said. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have a lot more to talk about with this piece of legislation, the reopen and rebuild America's School Act of 2020. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could tune in. This is a really important hot topic. Our guest today is Anissa Hemming, the director of the Center for Green Schools out of the U.S. Green Building Council. We're talking about a piece of legislation that is currently working its way uh, from Congress uh, to hopefully the president's desk. It's called the Reopen and Rebuild America's School Act of 2020. Um, Before the break, we were talking about asbestos, mold, and water quality. Um, But Anissa, I'd like for you to talk to us about the current funding levels included in the bill and how that funding would be allocated. You mentioned right before the break that there was a lot of local uh, purview and, and a lot of local control over that, but talk to us about the funding levels and a little bit more about how it would be allocated. Yeah, yeah. So the, the funding that's currently proposed in this bill is uh, $100 billion in grants to, um, those would flow to states. And the the grants would be allocated to states by formula. 
And that formula amount is in proportion to the Title I funding that they receive from the federal government. Um, and Title I is, as a lot of people will know, is, is, um, meant to address equity in education. And so the, there's a tie there to how much money states get. And then the states, in order to actually receive that money by formula, have to give the federal government a plan for how they're going to um, handle the funding. And then um, at the state level, local districts um, will be applying to states for for grants to do um, projects that they need done in their school systems. Um, there's also in the, besides this hundred billion dollars in grants, there's also um, a section of the bill that is about bonding capacity. And so there's also $30 billion um, in, in that area. Um, and so that, that allows um school systems to tap into some increase, some, some additional funding that um, comes through bonds instead of these grants that come from states. Um, I will note, because $100 billion sounds like a ton of money, and it, it is, uh, and it would be a real um, shot in the arm for school systems that really need additional investment. Um, but it is about, it's about 10% allocated as it as it is currently over the course of the next five years. It's, a, it's, a, it's about 10% of what we typically spend on school um, renovation and construction and that sort of thing across the country. And so um, that's sizable, but it's not, it doesn't dwarf what um, states and locals are, are already doing related to their school facilities. So um, it's significant, but um, it's not, it, it is, I, we believe it's, it's right-sized um, in terms of a federal investment in infrastructure in mm-hmm. schools. And, and how does the bill address the needs of schools in low-income communities? That's a big consideration. How does, how does the bill address that? It, it is, and it's, it's one of the major reasons why this bill has the support that it does across environmental groups and um, community um, advocates and um, and uh, education groups because the bill is specifically designed to address the needs of, of schools in low-income communities. So, um, the, the, it starts with the fact that the funding, the grant funding is coming to states in proportion to Title One funding, which which is what I just talked about, so that so the amount itself is tied to that, the amount that's coming to states, and then states are um, required to set up a system where they're um, analyzing how they should be allocating the money based on a couple of aspects of need. Uh, one aspect is the schools that are in the worst condition. So that's something that some states know offhand and some states are going to have to find out. Um, the second aspect is uh, whether a school system has the ability to raise the money themselves or not. Um, and the third aspect is whether the school system serves a high percentage of students who qualify for free and reduced lunch. So there's there's various aspects of um, what it means to serve to to be well to be high need from the perspective of a school or a district um, and state plans are supposed to outline kind of how their granting structure is going to address these these various aspects of need 
Got it. Now, in order to perform all of these upgrades to our school infrastructure, we're going to need a lot of construction and technical workers. Talk to us, talk to us about the potential for job creation that's embedded in this bill. Yeah, the the best data that we have to to work with there is is on the topic of construction jobs because that is pretty well documented how many construction jobs can be created by um, infrastructure investment. So um, we we given the amount of funding that is um, that is uh, um, currently slated to be included in this bill. Um, we're looking at the creation of over 2 million jobs and that's based on an economic policy Institute analysis. And that analysis, the assumption is that a billion dollars spent on construction creates uh, about 17,000, almost 18,000 jobs. So there's a, there's a formula that you can use to look at how much is spent and how much is infused in infrastructure and how many construction jobs that could create in our economy. That's really exciting because when you think about the impact that schools have, you know, on the community that they're in, um, you know, it's a it, almost always in every community, the school districts are one of the largest employers, <laughs> one of the places that, you know, a significant part of the community spends their the majority of their waking hours in uh, schools often serve as a community gathering place, um, you know, in off school hours. And now, you know, they could be job creation centers um, for some of the people who live in the community. And, and so there's just a lot of uh, great things about this bill and, and how we're looking at allocating it. Now, you know, you mentioned earlier that there are some green building standards um, and, some some provisions in the in the legislation that would help us ensure that we're spending this money on high quality school buildings that are built to last and built to meet 21st century standards. Talk to us about those provisions in the bill. Yeah, yeah, and I would say you know the, the green standards that are included in this bill also to me are uh, make it doubly exciting the the number of jobs that are projected to be created because those jobs, you know, construction workers that are working on these um, buildings that are required to meet high standards um, are probably learning some new skills, which um, will be necessary in um, in their in their jobs in the course of of their um, construction careers. So I think mm-hmm. it's very exciting that. Um, the the buildings themselves might um, be able to teach some new skills to to um, folks in their communities. So the 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 bill includes a section on green building standards, um, and it says that any um, any of these schools that are receiving federal funding um, that are doing full like fully new schools or major renovations um, will need to meet. Um, third-party verified green building standards. And there are a number of options given in the legislation. One of those options is LEED, uh, which is a green building rating system that comes from the U.S. Green Building Council, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some others, uh, the Collaborative for High-Performance Schools um, system and a system from the um, 
International Living Future Institute called Living Building Challenge. Um, so they're, these systems are designed with a lot of stakeholder input from various experts across building industry to address, um, they're, they're all designed to address uh, the environmental impact of buildings, um, so the construction of a building and all of the environmental impacts that come along with that and the operation of that building over time. And they're designed to protect health and wellness within a building. So all the things that, you know, a, a design team needs to think about related to ventilation and air quality and um, daylighting for, for students and teachers and all the things we talked about toward the beginning of the show, um, those are included in these sort of comprehensive green building rating systems, these third-party verified systems. And um, the third-party verification means that when these buildings are um, built across the country, the, a building built in Oklahoma will be meeting a similar standard to a building built in uh, Utah will be the similar standard to a building built in California. So the, the standards are, um, are equitable across states, which we think is really important. Um, you know, the, as we've talked about, this money should be going to school systems that really need the investment and really need high quality places for teaching and learning. And we want to make sure that the, the funding is, is being equitably distributed and also being used in a way that will yield school buildings that are equitable across the country. Yeah, that's, that's important. And, and I think that speaks to, you know, the, the importance of this issue and why we don't want to continue in the condition that we're currently in, which is a hodgepodge of building standards, some of which meet the needs of, the communities in which they reside and some do not. You know, remote learning has, through the pandemic, has really shown a floodlight on the digital divide. Does the bill address the need for more high-speed broadband? It does, yeah. It's it's part of the allowable uses for the funds. So, the you know, if a school system, um, if part of a school system's application to their state is that they really need to be able to provide um, better high-speed broadband access across their district, then that is, that's allowed to be funded through this bill. That is awesome. Um, and I think, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of communities are going to tremendously benefit from that. Um, you know, I, in working with some of our interns in different cities across the country with the Go Green Initiative, my organization, I have seen the digital divide with my own two eyes on Zoom every week. Um, and it mm-hmm. really does impact uh, the way that students are able to interact with their teachers, with their uh, fellow students, and even with the software that they need. Um, you know, if you're trying to work on Wi-Fi that's spotty, uh, that just that just doesn't allow you to do the work as quickly as people who have high-speed broadband. So I'm glad that the bill is addressing that as well. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have much more to talk about with the Reopen and Rebuild America School Act. So don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 
43% or 14%. Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could all join us. Our guest today, in case you've just tuned in, is Anissa Hemming, the director for the Center for Green Schools from the U.S. Green Building Council. And we're talking about a piece of legislation that's working its way through the halls of government right now. It's called the Reopen and Rebuild America School Act. And it could create a significant um, amount of money to help upgrade the infrastructure of our nation's schools, which to put it mildly, are in a state of disrepair in a lot of communities. Um, So, Anissa, one of the interesting provisions in the bill in RASA is the creation of a national database um, on the condition of public school facilities. Talk to us, you you mentioned this earlier in the show, but talk to us in greater detail about why that's so important. Yeah, the, the, Database on the condition of school facilities is going to allow us to understand where investment is needed and um, where public school buildings um, are, uh, where local districts are having the hardest time keeping their school facilities um, up to date and in good repair. And this is something it kind of, before you look into this, it seems like, well, don't we already kind of know that? And we don't, we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, very few, even at the state level, very few states know this information. Um, and it, it makes planning really hard. It makes allocation of resources really hard if we don't understand what the, what the landscape is of the the conditions of school facilities. We know a little bit from the State of Our Schools report that we put out, the 2016 State of Our Schools report. Um, we know that the investment in school facilities, so we know the do- where the dollars flow, and we know that the investment in facilities is lower, a lot lower than it should be. So we know that we're spending about two-thirds of the money that, given the square footage of school facilities that are out there, we're spending about two thirds of what we should to keep that square footage in good repair. So we know that there's a problem, but we don't actually know Mm -hmm. what that problem looks like. And so Mm -hmm. a national database is really going to help us see that. Well, and quite frankly, you know, in, in my work with the go green initiative, I work with a lot of school districts that don't know that information themselves. If they haven't done a facilities master plan in you know, the last decade, they don't even know. And so how can even a local school board make decisions about funding allocations and priorities when they don't even know 
the state of their own facilities. So um, this, you know, from just my own experience of about 20 years in the green schools industry, this is really important information. And so I'm glad that the bill addresses that. Now, Anissa, I know that you have personal experience with the impact that natural disasters can have on schools and communities. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon at all in every crisis that we see from storms to wildfires. Um, local school facilities tend to be used as community gathering sites. If RASA, the Reopen and Rebuild America School Act, is enacted and we invest in America's school facilities. What do you see as some of the benefits to communities around the schools that will be upgraded with these federal dollars? So, yeah, you're, you're right that I, I have a little personal experience with, with the impact of natural disasters. I, I was hired by the U.S. Green Building Council to, to be in the school system in New Orleans after Katrina to help with the rebuilding there. And um, I saw there the, that when we invest in, in school buildings, um, it's a signal to not only the students at the school, but also the, the surrounding community, you know, what, what um, emphasis and what value we're placing on uh, kids' education and, and the, um, students in particular feel a lot of pride of place when their school building is in, you know, is a is a beautiful, inspiring place for them to come to every day. Um, but they also just at sort of a basic level, um, when a school is not in not well taken care of and not in good condition, um, it's a signal to our kids that that their education doesn't really mean that much to. <laughs> to our communities. Um, and it's not a signal that most communities would want to send to their students. Um, and so I, I think a lot of communities that are putting in all the effort they can into their school buildings, but just really need some help from outside of their community, um, are really going to benefit from, from some additional federal dollars. Just, um, you know, we want our school buildings to tell our kids the messages that we want them to hear, um, as they, start to figure out how to be citizens in our communities and how to be, you know, um, contribute to their community effectively. Well, and they can't advocate for themselves um, to the extent that people who can vote can. Um, and if we don't signal uh, to our elected officials who are you know, part of the funding stream and part of the decision making about how our public dollars for education are allocated, then our, our children, you know, are, are, are pretty much at the at the will of voters. And, you know, and I've seen this at, at the, the local and even the state level when it comes to school bonds and parcel taxes and things like that. Um, if, if voters, you know, that when they're past the point where they have kids in the school district, sometimes they waffle a little bit um, in some areas about whether or not to, to vote yes on investing mm -hmm. in education. Mm -hmm. But I think that's largely due to um, misinformation or lack of information about the state of our schools. I think that most people, if they saw some of the worst conditions, um, you know, that, that our students and our teachers are, are working and learning in, they would support 
this kind of investment. I think a lot of people just don't realize what a tremendous state of disrepair our schools are in. So, Anissa, we're probably not going to get this information on CNN or Fox News because they're preoccupied with some other things. Um, (laughs) So talk to us about where the Reopen and Rebuild America School Act uh, bill is now and some of the hurdles that it's going to face on its way to the president's desk. Yeah, it's going to face quite a quite a number of hurdles. <laughs> um, so it's been it's been introduced in the House, um, and it is um, so that Congress is is working kind of in two stages right now. Um, right, right now is the sort of um, the the money that we need to um, deal with COVID. Right, so we're we're mm-hmm. right now in this negotiation around funding that we need to handle the virus right this minute. Mm -hmm. And then when we're able to get something settled about that, and, you know, Congress is is saying that that should be sort of mid-March, then then Congress is going to turn to recovery funding. Um, So they're going to look at things that we need to invest in in order to jumpstart job creation, to sort of get people back on their feet long-term, um, to bring us out of the slump that our um, economy is in right now. Um, so that is where infrastructure funding is going to be discussed. And the Rebuild America Schools Act or the Reopen and Rebuild America Schools Act is, is probably going to be discussed as part of a larger infrastructure package. And so in the process of doing that, we're going to... Um, have a lot of negotiation about what should stay and what should leave in the, in this bill, because the bill language is going to be um, stripped down to um, its bare essentials. And so um, we're going to want to keep an eye on what stays within this bill language and what is, what ends up being included in this larger infrastructure package. Mm-hmm. We have about a minute left in the show. What can our listeners do to show their support for this bill? Put us to work. Excellent. Well, uh, you need a call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> call your representatives and senators. We want people to understand. Uh, we want our representatives to understand that school infrastructure is important to us, that they, that that their constituents understand that this is um, an issue that has to be solved uh, or has to be contributed to at the federal level. Um, it's not going to be solved by locals and states. And so we, we need to help them understand that we think this is really important investment in school facilities across the country. Well said. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much, Anissa, for joining us. Um, This topic will come back to Go Green Radio, folks, but you can check out more by going to the Basic Coalition. There's a Basic Coalition you can join that's watching this bill. Of course, you can also contact your local uh, elected representatives, your congressmen, your state senators. uh, Get on the phone. Get on email. Get in contact with them and let's see this through. Our children are counting on us. Well, I want to thank everybody for joining us. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. 